Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. Now, if only you could see me, I am so happy. I have just interviewed Mickey Kanani. I just over the moon. I really, really appreciate it because she, obviously she's a really, really busy lady. So Dr. Nikki Kanani, MBE and GP, was the first woman to be appointed Medical Director of Primary Care at NHS England. And at the time of recording, Nikki is part of NHS England's Chief Delivery Office team as Director for Clinical Integration. And she's also still overseeing the COVID vaccine programme. I've wanted to speak to Nikki for ages just to kind of get a sense of what is it like being Nikki Kanani and how do you manage your day-to-day work? What do you say yes to? What do you say no to? How do you manage your time? How do you manage conflict? How do you manage and how does it feel when you or your office puts out a new piece of guidance and it doesn't go down very well? All of the things that it's like day-to-day leadership that we all have to manage That's why I wanted Nikki on. I, of course, had to ask her about the future of primary care networks. But this interview is quite a short chat around how Nikki leads, how she leads her team and how she manages herself. And I thought it was really interesting and really important for her to share. I know that you're going to take lots from it. I certainly have. She's just really inspiring. So it's probably a bit of a selfish interview. I just really wanted to speak to her. And I'm so glad that she did. Hey, Nikki, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm really pleased to join you. Um, I know we've been waiting to have a chat for a long time. So um, thank you for having me. I know. I really appreciate your time and I, I can appreciate how busy you are. I'd be really surprised, but if any of my listeners do not know who you are, would you be able to share a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Yeah, of course. It'd be my pleasure. I often have to pause and think myself. So that's that's a useful exercise, Tara, on a, on a Monday. Okay. Most importantly, I'm a mum of two. I've got a daughter who's in her final term and a bit of primary school and a son who's just started GCSEs. So they definitely, in a different way, take a huge amount of my attention. I'm a GP in South East London, and I currently hold two portfolio roles at NHS England. One is supporting the integration work, which is a number of NHS organisations that are coming together. 
and the other is deputy leader of the vaccine program and I've been in that role for a little while now um it was supposed to be a a, a few weeks until christmas 2020 and hasn't finished yet so they they're my main roles i guess through the week and what was your role before you went into the integration work I was medical director of primary care for NHS England so that was working with some of the same people but also lots of different people both nationally and across lots of different bodies so a very complex role very rewarding role but I've been doing that actually since February 2018 so okay. it was certainly time for another or a different challenge at what point in your career did you think I want to be more than just be a gp when did you start to think i want to move more into the leadership position it wasn't a proactive sort of consideration what has always taken me sort of down different pathways is a, a combination of curiosity and frustration so when i was doing my house jobs in a dgh i had found things that were essentially a chaotic patient pathway I not a good experience for patients that's how I would describe it now at the time I didn't describe it like that so there's a range of things that the chief exec asked me to work on and that problem solving around a person's journey in healthcare was really attractive really interesting and that had sort of piqued my interest about what happens in the community and then I spoke to some amazing GPs who sort of said you know this is where it actually happens and um, but actually all through my GP training I I took forever partly because of the kids but also because I was still working with the PCT at that point doing different pieces of work mainly centered around commissioning and I didn't realize it then but I'd actually really enjoy the concept of commissioning when it's strategic commissioning and that's what ended up exciting me about working in general practice and being a commissioner because you could see the person in front of you you could be you know a leader with that individual but actually where you wanted to then have an impact on a wider family or community or a, a different sort of segment or cohort of the population taking on these other roles sort of helped me to do that and I've always always kept my GP role and always want to because it's a great test case so when I was chief officer of the CCG you know we do or design something and I sit in general practice and be like that doesn't work and it could be something really simple like the referral form or it could be that the pathway itself didn't quite work in the way that we thought it would and so that feedback loop and mechanism is really important and then things just went on from there I'd I'd worked as a commissioner for a long time I did some national roles around quality improvement and then the substantive role until very recently into the medical director of primary care at NHS England which was very much again born out of some of that frustration and curiosity so I'd been a commissioner and I would be getting different requests from NHS England for sort of slightly different things you know with different pots of money and it didn't quite fit together for me so I wanted to come into the national role and sort of understand what was what was happening and could I join things together and you know in one sense we were able to we created the PCN contract which was the first time we'd had anything like that you know a longer term contract significantly more funding but I learned so much about the intricacies of working with government treasury you know a range of other stakeholders and how to kind of navigate and negotiate your way to the best possible position rather than the best position so that's a series of skills that I've I've had to learn quite quickly And then obviously you know the pandemic hit and you know that relatively dark time having to lead through that time was incredibly difficult for lots of reasons that you can imagine but then the the light of the vaccine program which actually did give us a chance to show what primary care can do when it's well supported I've never been particularly planned in my career I enjoy things as they come up and they've seemed to be enjoyable so far <laughs> 
But has it always been enjoyable? Because during the height of COVID, we'd be in like the WhatsApp groups. And I think, I don't know how you put up with the constant, just constant communication, feedback for everything that you would perceive. Like, And I say you, because sometimes I think people think you were all of NHS England. (laughs) (laughs) Every decision, it's like, Nikki, you're amazing. Nikki, why have you done that? It's not all been a bed of roses. So a combination of COVID, the pandemic itself and the vaccine programme also exposed me to the worst trolling that I could imagine, both from professionals and from individuals who weren't healthcare professionals, but, you know, used social media as a way to kind of find and direct things to you. So there's two things for me, the WhatsApp groups and the kind of wider ability to communicate and network and, you know, reach into different places and understand what's going on was incredibly valuable before the pandemic as we were doing the PCN contract and during, you know, it was a phenomenal source of support, particularly when things were incredibly chaotic. I've never regretted any of the 50 or 60 of them that I have. Having said that, it does open you up to, as you say, sort of being the target of a lot of things. And I guess Part of it was expected. People were tired. They worked hard. They were scared. It was an outlet. It did get overwhelming. It it got too much at times. So I did come off Twitter for a period of time and at some times just didn't reply to WhatsApps for a little while. I had to just move myself away, not just for my own mental health, but to preserve some sort of capacity to give some emotional energy back to my kids. Because obviously those years, well, I like to think, I think they think as well that being a really present mum, but for those years, it was obviously much harder because for me, you know, the vaccine programme was our way out. It was my kids' future as much as anything else. So it was worth the kind of quid pro quo of sort of spending so much of my time doing it. Sometimes I call people out. It was variable. It depended who it was and how strong I was feeling. I was just about to use the word resilient, but I'm not going to. I think the thing that I really needed was my own networks that looked out for me. So when I was really getting pushed, I had people from all parts of healthcare offer me support emotionally and otherwise, you know, not just general practice or primary care. So that was really important. Some strong women's networks, some strong women of colour networks, which I think is really important because I do reflect that would I have been treated the same as a white man in that role? I don't know. So so creating space was important. But then also just as I got, I guess, a little bit stronger, I'd never be someone with a thick skin, but a little bit stronger. Just remembering my dad always said to me, you do things still thinner with your heart. And then if people can't see that, then that's about them and not about you. And the number of things, the number of things that we stopped happening or made better, but not perfect, or maybe not even good sometimes, but just better because of the work that we did. I'll always know that. Not many other people will, but I'll always know that. And I'll always know that I've done it with the right intent. How do you manage yourself in that respect? So when people are moaning or complaining about things, because things are tough and demand is high, there must be a part of you that, without being defensive, wants to say, if only you knew X, Y, and Z. But you kind of, in a role like yours, you can't react and share all what happens behind the scenes. How do you manage that? You've pulled out the most difficult tension, actually, because sometimes someone will complain about something or, or, or rightly, you know, feel really frustrated about a decision or a document or a line in something. And I sort of think, I knew you'd feel that. I'm not surprised. I feel that too. It was very rare that I would let my own frustration play out in a public way. Very, very rare because it just wouldn't have helped anyone. 
There were certainly times when I was close to it. But again, I'd have to kind of pull back. There's a couple of people on my team that we'd lean on each other or a couple of very good friends or, you know, they wouldn't necessarily understand the context, but I could just have a little bit of a rant and and then carry on. I work on relationships. Relationships are important to me and leading authentically is. So when people would presume or question sort of my authenticity on something, it would really hurt. So I do do a little bit of meditation with the kids. I'm not very good at it. Um, They are definitely better than me. Tried a bit of gratitude journaling in the back of my work notebook so that didn't quite go far enough for me but I think sort of talking to people and making sure that I just keep my networks close what was important and there's always there's always people that are amazing that reach out that you wouldn't have expected to and that just gives you a bit of a boost for the next onslaught. How do you manage your time and I can think of a time when we were both at an event and it's like when Nikki walks into a room everybody wants to talk to you how do you manage not so much like your email because you've got an assistant yeah but you know like you'll manage your time like everybody wants to speak to you it helps that I'm a classic e so I don't get too drained by that I mean eventually I do I'm like like anyone you know I can go and go and go and then I get drained and then I have to sort of Mm. self-protect a bit my diary is a massive juggling act between many people. So on a very practical diary sense, so this morning I have my weekly look ahead, senior members of my team, we sit down and they flag things that they're worried about and I flag things that I am. On a very sort of practical sense, so if, for example, I'm going on a visit later in the week or if I was going to a conference or something like that, we would always build in extra time. So we learned by real sheer sort of um, experience that initially where I'd go into a conference and I'd be speaking, I'd sort of say, well, I'm there anyway. I can speak at other bits and then I'd have four or five talks to do but the reality is I would just go from one to another to another and as you say there'd be people to talk to I, I think that's an important part of a role like my medical director role for sure that is about talking to people and, and hearing their experiences and, and learning from them because that's a way that we might be able to do something better or differently so we do always build in that kind of time as much as possible and little practical things like if I'm going on a visit um, and someone offers to pick me up, we often say yes, not because it's avoiding a taxi or anything, although it does. It's actually just it gives me time to have a conversation with somebody that's part of that system in a really informal way. So we always try and build in little bits of time. And I tend to work very flexibly through the day and through the week, which works for some people and not for others. I mean, it became something important to me because of my kids being able to get home and do bedtime etc but then obviously the ability to then switch back on because it worked for me was was important and sometimes that would be just sitting there as you would have seen answering whatsapps and sometimes that would be getting into some quite hefty stuff so the team had what they needed for the next day it's really interesting because I was having this conversation with a mentee of mine quite recently. She was talking about wanting to do something different or feeling like she needed to do something different. Actually when we got to the end of the conversation She just felt the pressure of wanting to do something different, but she actually really liked the fact that the work she was doing at the moment allowed her to work four days, sort of fairly flexibly, but four days. And I was like, if that's right for you right now, you don't need to move to whatever the next thing is. People will ramp up and ramp down their time throughout their careers. I can recognise in myself I've always been in that slightly ramped up state. And I think that's really hard after the last few years to come away from. And my coach often says it, you know, you were working at this level to land the contract and then this level for the pandemic and then this level for the vaccines. You both get used to it, but you also sort of almost crave it. I find it very strange. A few weeks ago, I was sitting with my daughter watching a Saturday morning thing because her club or whatever was cancelled. And I sat there and I was texting my mum and sister saying, I feel really strange because I feel like I should be doing something else. And I have to learn to sit with that. I'm, I'm trying really hard to learn to sit with that. 
but it's by no means comfortable yet. And I'm going to have to keep working on it. You mentioned you've got a coach and you mentioned a support network. Who Mm. is the person that you feel most vulnerable with who is not a member of your family and is not your coach? Oh, that's a great question. So my two kind of most senior, I guess, deputies, senior advisors at work are incredible, Thomas and Emily. They are fantastic. And, you know, I can be pretty honest with them. I, I try to be so that they understand sort of the complexities of my day, week, etc. Actually, there's a few people off the vaccine programme, or some that are still there, some that have come off in time. But I think where you were working together in the way that we did seven days a week, ridiculous hours, 18, 20 hours in the office, you do form these really intense intense relationships with people and you can sort of trust and be vulnerable in a way that you often don't get a chance to. Um, a couple of people in my women's network as well, you know, where I can just sort of say, this just feels really hard today. And they, they just drop everything and they, they're there for you remotely or otherwise. I'm a big believer of having lots of dispersed networks and being vulnerable yourself and being able to call on people. The only kind of real primary care question I have for you is you mentioned the primary care networks. Will primary care networks exist beyond 2024? It's a really good question. So obviously I don't work in that role anymore. But if we take a step back, the philosophy behind primary care networks, it was exactly the right philosophy coming together to work together in a way that allowed your teams to have a bit more support, your patients and communities to have a range of care offers without treading over the individual practice role. That sort of hybrid approach, layered approach to care is exactly right, especially if you start to then bring others around that in terms of the sort of integrated neighbourhood teams, the work that Claire's done and others. But obviously with the pandemic and the vaccine programme, that shifted PCNs in, in lots of different ways. In some ways, exactly the right thing for them. It took them in exactly the right direction. It strengthened them and that is still the right model. For others, it caused more heartache than probably ever expected. Having said that, I still think the philosophy is exactly right. The idea to think at that level, that patient population level, the ability to really get into the population health discussion that I think we need to be getting to and getting the right type of professional for those individuals is right. So I know that there are still a lot of fans of primary care networks. As we are progressing through this next phase, let's hope that we have a good opportunity to give primary care networks what they need so that they can flourish for the inevitable and the the long-term future. What do you think it is about your leadership style that enables you to be successful? Two things, I think, approachable and authentic. And I'll talk a bit about both. I like to think I'm approachable. Because people make contact very, very, like very quickly. And I remember, I remember my predecessor saying, you, you've got to be careful because you just don't have the capacity to speak to, connect with this number of people. You know, you need to understand when to, when to do that and when to kind of sit across that. But it has been important. And I think that's made a difference, particularly in my previous role, in my primary care role, for particularly for trainees to sort of say, oh, right, OK, that is something I could do, that type of role. Or I can step out and try something else. I can be brave and not worry about what the final outcome is going to be, but just try something different with my career and blend that work-life mix. That's one thing. I really hope, because I've, I feel I am, but I think being authentic is so important. 
it took me a long time to feel comfortable with that. And actually, it was my coach who was saying, you're almost moving away from the fact that you're the only woman, the only brown woman, the only clinician, the only mum in a room, in many of the rooms that you're in. You need to own all of that and then be your full self, be your authentic self, because that's how you're going to lead in the way that you want to lead rather than, yeah, you can lead in everyone else's stuff. So I think that's what's helped me to grow most as a leader, you know, really just owning the different facets of who I am. And I think that then plays out in the way that I manage and lead teams, sort of consistently had the most diverse teams across protected characteristics, experiences and geography in every role that I've been in or built it where it didn't exist. Because part of being authentic meant I know where I'm less strong, where I'm not as good. So I'm able to sort of go, hey, you run with this, you're really good at this. So I have quite autonomous teams as well, which they seem to enjoy because it gets the best out of them. You know, that's not necessarily how they are then with their line reports, but certainly gives them the space to grow and, and lead. So it's, it's good for the team and we, we thrive as a team. And it's great for me as well. One of the things that one of my mentors said a long time ago was you don't have to be good at everything. And it was such a breath of relief because initially I thought, oh, well, I can't do that. And I can't do that. You know, I need to learn about this now. And then he said, you know, you don't need to. You just build teams that allow you to, you know, work in the best way that you possibly can. So I think there's some of the things about my leadership style that, probably stand out for me and maybe for others. And what do you think, what reoccurring thing do you do which gets in your own way? In being kind, I still say yes more than I probably ought to. And I've learned how to say no at the right time in terms of sort of lines and boundaries. But I still think I probably not just take on more, but take on more for my team. So that I have to be really careful about because actually Sometimes I, you know, I'm really comfortable working in a pressured, complex environment. That doesn't mean everyone else is. And if I'm taking that on, that means my team also. So I've had to become better at managing, you know, my desire to either help someone or a team or a or a program or directorate because that's not always the right thing to do, even though it, it's tempting to. And you mentioned when we were speaking, sometimes you're trying to get, you know, like a better result, not the best result, or better than the current state. But when you're making those decisions, not just you, but your team, are you aiming for just a bit better or are you aiming for great? I think if I took a sort of generic look, although it it would vary depending on what we're doing. I think if you're thinking about what you want to do for your patient or population, it is the very, very best. And then as you sort of step back from that, you think, okay, you do the best, but you also know you've got these margins around it, this issue, whether it's political or otherwise, that you then have to manage for. So if you take away the things that you can't do, right, what is the very best? And you sort of, you work that way. So work from the best backwards, recognising that we will always do our best to land as close as we can. But sometimes, sometimes it is good enough. And sometimes that's really hard for me and many members of my team to feel comfortable with. And we have to check in around it. We have to kind of go, right, this is as far as we can get X, Y, Z. We're going to go with it. What, you know, what are some of the things that we might get thrown back at us on it? Is there any way we can help learn that, help others understand why we might have made these sets of decisions? And sometimes there is, and sometimes there just isn't. So it does take a lot of personal energy, but trying to be as open as possible, as transparent as possible when I can as to why we make decisions and that we recognise the consequences to those decisions is part of that, I think. And there comes the time, so you put out a new piece of guidance, people aren't happy, they swarm to Twitter (laughs) or in WhatsApp. And then at what point do you just think, you know, like, it's not moving on, but we have to move forwards. Because sometimes if you keep explaining, you You keep stoking the fire. 
some things genuinely need landing. They need overt and discreet champions. So we've got really good networks, you know, so a lot of the things that I've been involved in over the years, you know, you do have people that you expect to come and champion it. And then you have the people who sort of sit behind that and quietly are championing or might be picking off a few people to get them to understand what some of the challenges might have been. So you always have that kind of wider network to work with because it really does make a difference. I'm quite gut and heart led, as you can expect. So I tend to just take a feel. If I know it's going to be difficult, I stay close to it. You have your people on their change curves, so you can, you get a good sense of when you need to push on and explain or give a bit more support and then when to start to row back. But you're absolutely right, you can't always do it and some things just need a line drawing under. Some things that need that clinical leadership, perhaps out in the in the real world, you, you want to spend a bit more time on to make sure that your advocates, your clinicians understand the context of your decision making so that they can then be the advocate for whatever you're doing. Sometimes other things just need a line drawing and, and moving on. And last question, could you describe in three words how you feel about your work right now? It's complex, a descriptive word, complicated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Energised, which is not easy to energise any of us after the last few years we've had. <laughs> um, I'm hopeful. I work with some really interesting people. I've, I've been so lucky the last few years to be working with people from all across different sectors, experiences and backgrounds. And I've continued to do so in this new role. And the passion that people display for the National Health Service, for the composite parts, for the people, for the communities is still phenomenal. The fact that I don't have to do much to get my team you know, out there talking about communities, making sure we're thinking about equity and equality and thoughtfulness in all that we do. We all say that, you know, people and small acts change the world. I'm still seeing that all the time. So I I remain eternally hopeful, Tara. (laughs) Thank you so much. I know that you're busy. I could speak to you all day. I know you've got to get on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you hear, I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review. I know many of you give us a shout out on social media, which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast. So please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care, on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Just look for Tara Humphrey. And if you're not subscribed to our newsletter, please do. You get to hear more insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.